We are in uh, Titus chapter 2. We are going to finish out, chap- finish out chapter 2 minus a verse here this morning. Uh, looking at the uh, final section there, 11 through 14. Um, last week we looked at... No, we didn't last week. Sorry. Last week... Uh, the week before that we looked at bond servants, the issue of bond servants... Uh, and how that plays out and how it actually uh, can impact us here in our lives today and how it does have a, uh, really a direct application. But as Titus is a letter to pastors, it is so important that the church be in prayer for their pastors. Um, I came across a couple of articles just in scanning and skimming throughout the week about how to pray for your pastor. And when Jeremy came here, we gave him a little desk memento that says your people are praying for you. Um, and so let me continue to exhort and encourage you that you would be in prayer for him, especially for me also, for our deacon Arnold, and really for everybody else in the church, if there be some way, somehow, that you can come up with a way to be praying for your brothers and sisters on a regular basis. That is so huge. And so we see here in in Titus another man coming alongside a pastor to exhort and encourage him in the work that he is to be about. And even as we get into bond servants where he may have been going, I really don't know how to deal with the slaves in the church, Paul comes alongside and gives him guidance. Um, this section, this, this next section is, is one of those sections uh, within a pastoral epistle that is a, a, almost a proof for why we as saints all need to read the pastoral epistles to be part of the pastoral epistles. This is such a beautiful exaltation of really grace. This whole, this whole section is on the grace of God. I, I had Tracy, I, I broke down the sentence. I'm not a sentence diagrammer, but this is like one big long sentence, 11 through 14. And, and it all hinges on this. You know, every sentence has a subject and a verb. You know, verb predicate or whatever the heck. Uh, subject and a verb. But this one is the grace of God. The subject is the grace of God. All of this stems off of the grace of God and how extraordinary it is. So that's what we're, we're going to look at today. We're going to break this down bit by bit. I may diagram it out a little bit here as we go along because it's, I mean, to see it in its structure, you go, oh, wow, you know, the skeleton, because it, it's really, it's, it's fairly plain, even though Paul's sentences are sometimes like really, really long, they, they flow logically, very logical mind. So, uh, Ty, would you read uh, verse 11? Verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Okay. So as a Christian, you're reading through that. Does that sentence make you go, whoa? All people. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all 
people. Bringing salvation for all people? What, before we go to the but, before we go to, what can this lead to? Universalism. Perfect. Absolutely. And, Eb, you want to flesh that? What does that mean for, um, for us? A loving God wouldn't send anybody to hell. Ultimately, everyone would be with him in heaven. Yes. Yeah, salvation for everybody. We're all, gonna, we're all pretty good, aren't we, you know? There's only those few, except there's the Adolf Hitlers and such. Yeah. You know. Yeah, what's the note as those people? Well, what's the end of God's love then? Why, why can't He love those people? Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> so, we 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 come across that, and, and immediately we got to go. You know, like, what's he mean by all people? Well, it can't mean all people. If you simply go back into the first chapter, he's, you know, he's talking about um, uh, the insubordinate, the empty talkers, the deceivers, uh, uh, to the defiled and unbelieving. Nothing is pure. Verse 15, they profess to know God, but they deny by their works. He's not talking about all people. He can't be talking about all people. Um, back in chapter 2, verse 12... What are the what first two verses, uh, first two words of chapter, I'm sorry. First two words of verse 12. Teaching us. Teaching us. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, teaching us. Okay, and as we go along, we're going to see it's teaching us very Christian things. You know, that the unbeliever's not going to have any part of it. So the people who are going to hear this are the people of God. And so in this, you, you, the all people can be all of those who are saved. All people. All believers. Is there a sense though, in which the salvation of God, excuse me, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. Yes. Well, I, I read that as, because you, you know, thinking contextually back, that was the Hebrew God. And now you're hearing about bringing salvation for all people, including Gentiles and people like that. In the sense that it's, your salvation is no longer just for the Jews. Okay. An expansion. Yeah. I, I mean, I understand like, all people who okay. are saved. So it could, it could mean that it's a, it's a non-discriminator. Okay? Possibly. Is there another way? Just to catch what you're saying, but I mean, these, these other things definitely are like clauses. Could be thought of as clauses or like as you just said, like it's proving that, that these aren't for everyone. It's saying this salvation is training us to renounce ungodliness and right. ungodly passions. So those those who are not renouncing uh, ungodliness and worldly passions and living in self-control are obviously not a part of this uh, grace of salvation. Okay. So is there is there another way besides kind of the in international flavor of salvation appearing to all people? Is there a way that salvation has appeared to all people? 
Yeah, I mean, who, to whom does not the gospel go out? To whom is the gospel intended? All, All people. Christ told the disciples to go where? Everywhere. You know, so, so in that sense, in that sense, we do see that the grace of God has, has appeared bringing salvation for all people. It is brought. It is brought to all people. What do all people do with it? Yes. Yeah, some, some will go, ah, great, and take it. Others will go, some might pick it up and look at it. But. So real important to, you know, as you come across verses like that, not just just go whizzing by them, but go, because that out of context can lead to exactly what Ebb was talking about, and that's universalism, which is dangerous. So the first thing we see about the grace of God, getting back to kind of the, Paul's intent here, is the grace of God has appeared. Okay, the grace of God has appeared. What is, what is the grace of God? Well, there's the obvious Sunday school answer of Jesus, but also there's just existence. What is grace? Let me, let's, let's. Getting, getting what you didn't, giving a gift that you don't deserve. Okay. So God, God bestowing anything to us is, is an undeserved goodness. So. I'm not getting what you're used to. Newsboys. When we get what we don't deserve, it's a real good thing. When we don't get what we deserve, it's a real good thing. Yeah, both of those. Grace. Grace. Completely God's unmerited favor. What does God owe us? Justice, punishment. Yeah, yeah, really. No, nothing that we want. Yeah. None of, it, none, of it's, none of it's good. But it, it has appeared. You know, when did it appear? It appeared in the creation. I mean, all of God's interactions with men, they are all grace. Uh, reading through the through Chronicles right now, and, you know, wicked king after wicked king, and failure after failure, and they rejected God, and they put up altars in the, or, or uh, altars within the temple to... Uh, burn sacrifices to Baal and such. And God sent them prophets. As opposed to just going and blowing the whole thing to smithereens, God in his grace is like, still come back to me. He's still calling his people back. And it's the, in that verse, God sent them prophets, but they would not listen. Oh. The grace of God, that you have breath in your lungs, is the grace of God. That you have food on your plate, that you have a car to drive and clothes to wear, that you have existence this day. The grace of God has appeared. That's not what he's speaking of here, though. This grace that has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. So it appeared 
bringing salvation. This is going to get fleshed out here. Um, question. Yeah. Um, like, you know, when we read the Old Testament, there are people that are marked out for destruction. Like, we see Pharaoh, yeah. several people. I'm curious, at this point, when salvation is brought for all people, are there still people marked out? Absolutely. There, God's, God's election has never changed. God's selection of his people has never changed. There are those marked, Esau I have loved, or Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. By God's good volition, his choice. That he, God. And all, even those elect, are deserving Absolutely. It's only by grace that some are saved. Any. That yeah. Are saved. Yeah. And so, so like <laughs> the the fact of those those other people. It's, um, yeah. So there is a purpose behind God's grace. There's a purpose behind it appearing, and the purpose behind it appearing is to bring salvation. It is to bring, it is to redeem his people. And, and, and this is going to, that's going to get muscled out here. Have greater structure put on it as, uh, as we go along. So we see here uh, that it is to bring salvation, but it is also, let's see, uh, verse 2. Uh, Arnold, would you read, uh, or verse 12 rather of chapter 2? Train us to renounce ungodliness and worldly. Self-control, upright, and godly lives in this present age, or the present age. Okay. So the grace appears, bringing salvation, and the salvation thereby. This grace, this grace, also trains us. It does all of these things. It appeared, it brings salvation, and it trains us, and it trains us negatively. And positively, as as we go on here, um, it, it trains us to renounce. What does it mean to renounce? Good. Well, nothing to do with you. I renounce my association with you. I renounce my association with this church. I want nothing more to do with you. Shake the dust off my feet. And, and I turn. To put off, to put down, to disown. And what is it that we are to renounce? Okay? Okay. Okay, now that's positive. We're getting into the positive there. So we're, we're supposed to renounce... Ungodliness. So ungodliness, pretty obvious word. That which is does not correspond to God. The dreaded what would Jesus do question. What would Jesus do? 
And if Jesus wouldn't do it, it's probably ungodly. A good rule of thumb renounces us or trains us. This, our, this grace, this grace, God's unmerited favor trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. How do worldly passions differ from other passions? Mine says, my translation says lusts, so that's... Okay. So, you know, we, we, we hear the word lust, and we go, uh, there's probably something a little hinky uh, going on there. <laughs> lust. How does lust... What is... What is a, what do we call proper lust? Of intimacy between a husband and a wife? Well, that, that desire. Desire. a desire or an appetite. Okay, sure. I mean, don't, don't we all have appetites? Sure. Of a sexual nature, of a culinary nature, of a libational nature? We have desires, we have appetites. Okay. How, what is the difference between an appetite and a lust? Excess. Really? Well, and con- uh, sorry, controlling of you, controlling of your heart. One not having control over it. Yeah. It's a bad look. Lust, an appetite gone wrong. You know, it is too focused on a particular thing. It is singularly focused on an inappropriate thing. Yes. Food, which isn't necessarily inappropriate, but if, if it's it's a lust, absolutely. I would say if it affects your character, if like not having it affects how you act or respond to other people, that's different than appetite and a need. <clears throat> or, or again, like if it's if it is if it's able to control you in some way, this is this is something quite quite different. Aside from past yeah. nature. My relationship with coffee is not ending for discussion. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that hits me at some time. Like, yeah. Well, you know, I heard it. I heard it said once uh, about uh, folks who like alcohol. If, if you are going through the day thinking about your next drink, probably got a problem. Sure. Okay. If if you're planning all day long how to drive by uh, the bakery so you can get a pile of whatever yummies they got at the bakery so you can hork them all on the way home and throw the bag away so nobody sees it. You're, you're, you're conniving kind of and excusing, oh, they're going to be gone, so I'm going to just sit here and watch eight hours of whatever. You know, I'm... Worldly passions, yeah. Yeah, I, I posted something on uh, Face Place, Facebook yesterday. Um, Face Place, that's amazing. <laughs> um, just about guys and guys in this present age, and we are we are notorious time wasters. Oh, you gotta have time that one. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know that. But we take it to excess. Um, we uh, most of us aren't crafting albums. Um, most of us aren't 
building things and and we don't redeem the time very well. We have, we waste so much time that typically was not a thing in the past. So good article I commended to you uh, from Greg Morse. <clears throat> anyway, uh, worldly passions, worldly passions as opposed to godly passions, hungering and thirsting after things of God. And so it it tells us. It trains us, this grace of God trains us to renounce, but it also trains us on the positive side to live. Live. And here's one of the the buzzwords here. Live a self-controlled life. Live self-controlled. How? How do... How do I control these things? How do I live self-controlled so these appetites don't go away? Absolutely. But in this being an extension of the grace of God in salvation, not a, not a, this isn't just a how-to. So this being a fruit of the Spirit. So. If you try to do this by yourself, you will fail. You will fail. You, you, to be self-controlled. I'm going to be self-controlled. I'm going to be self-controlled. And you're not going to be self-controlled. Resolutions. I mean, we're, we're a, a week in and resol- not even a week in and resolutions are already starting to strain under the pressure. There. Changing yourself by will is Herculean. Changing your self under the strength and power of the Holy Spirit is holy other. This grace trains us to live self-controlled lives, upright lives, proper, proper, upright, proper. Our world uh, does not exhort Propriety. Do what you want. Say what you want. Rudeness. Crudeness. You don't like it. Change the channel. That's not what God calls us to. God calls us to restrain ourselves. Be be proper. Be upright. Godly lives as opposed to in contrast to ungodliness. Live a life pleasing to the Lord. How do I know it's pleasing to the Lord? Read a book. Read a book. Read a book. Be with the saints. Be around people who are that way. Exhort and encourage one another in the body. In fellowship. You know, as, as we are chatting and, and rubbing shoulders and moving chairs. As you meet apart from here, as you run across brothers at work, huge. You know, to spur one another on to live godly lives. Qualifies it. And godly lives, to live godly lives, live, live, self-controlled, live upright, live godly, 
lives in the present age? Now. Huh? Now. Well, it was then. <laughs> but it was now then. Okay. So how, how does that... <laughs> so taking what Paul is exhorting Titus then, how does that apply 2,000 years later? Yes, the, the present age really doesn't change. If you think about his present age and the pressures of Rome and the pressure, pressures of the gods of Rome there and the hedonism and the unrestrained bacchanalia going on. You know, how, how different is it from today? Not very, really. I would say, you know, looking at some history stuff, I'd say it's, it was worse because, like, I was watching some stuff where, like, men were expect, almost expected to be sexual predators in, in Rome. So, like, yeah. for a man to have self-control, you know, in the present age is not looking at a computer screen. And their present age is not dragging somebody into an alley and raping them. You know, so, like, the, you know, that, that kind of stuff, when you dig into it, is the brutality of yeah. their present age is oftentimes glossed over in romanticism and you know, classical. Yeah. They were a part of a system whose government was hostile to Christianity whose culture was hostile to Christianity and so in a lot of ways there's not a lot of difference and so we can truly heed these words to know that the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation and ultimately training us to live godly lives self-controlled lives in this present age. Such a big thing then now, especially with Stoics and that kind of stuff. This is different. This is yeah. talking about a future reality. Good. Let's talk about it now. Now, now. Right. Now reality. But notice, again, so important, we, we emphasize it already, is this flows out of this. Correct. This doesn't lead to this. This cannot earn this. Um, this does not bring about this. All of this, this, this singular thing brings about these other things. And because of the grace of God, we are moving to the next point. And that is waiting for our blessed hope. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. 
Um, how often is waiting a part of a biblical story? How big a part is waiting? How big a part is does waiting play in the Christian life? Then why do I get so frustrated having to wait? Shouldn't we naturally be waiters? Mm, well, yes, but no, because uh, naturally, yes. <laughs> Shouldn't we, by the grace of God, be waiters? Should we not find joy and peace in waiting? Why? I mean, what? Why should I be joyful when I have to wait for anything? Obviously, we're waiting for the fulfillment of the covenant. We're waiting for the glory. We're waiting for his appearing. We are waiting. How long are we going to have to wait? Yeah, I don't know. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Seems pretty imminent. So why should I delight in waiting? Why should there be a, a joy in my soul when I have to wait? Okay. It should be because because the Lord is not slack. Good. Okay. Yeah, the comfort in the waiting would be part of faith in the his uh, plan. Is it the waiting that comes, or is it the is it the potential outcome that what you hope for and what God gives you is not well, the same? Okay. You are here. You know, the the mall here at the mall. You are here. Here is your destination. You want to get here. You want to get here now. But you are having to wait. Sometimes you know how long you're going to have to wait. What's happening? Is this wasted time? It shouldn't be wasted. Okay. Why can you know and have confidence that this is not wasted time? It's because God tells us to wait. Yes! God has ordained this. You're stuck in traffic. Is that a surprise to the living God? No. Would it be really nice if you were still, you know, trotting along at 75 miles an hour? Yes, it would be. But you are waiting. Why? Because. But why is it not really nice that you're stopped at the line? I mean, why does it have to just be really nice that you're still trotting along at 75? Yes. That's, and this is the thing. Is God working here? In your 
in your traffic jam? Absolutely. I read, I forget which book it was, but it's, it's really helpful to me that like the frustrations of life, that our, our fallen sin nature of, of going right back to Adam and wanting to be in the place of God and wanting to know and being in all controlling of our universe, us being at a constant fight with the universe is a blessing to know that that is not our that is not our place. I cannot align the molecules and the people around me to flow with my existence and my wills and desires. He, he lets me struggle and fight the tide, which we'll lose. <laughs> or yeah. yeah, I mean, I would say also that has a from a personal worldview of you're the main character in your story, yeah. and you're not just some extra, you know, in something else. Like, yeah. you know, me getting to the, like, going through this flight is important because my story says I need to be there. However, me being stopped at this flight might be much more important for somebody else's, you know, in their, in their, you know, little bit of limelight that God has put a spotlight on. Well, um, that light is a, is a constant reminder that you are not yeah. the center of, of your story because yeah. you would speed it. I think that when you talk about waiting in a like in a deep sense, and then when you talk about waiting like at a light, like I'm okay with saying, I mean I'm not okay with it, but I'll pray for patience in waiting about deep things happening in my life. But I'm feeling poked at right now. I'm just saying like that that I don't like that line. Like, I don't that, like the the this, this kills me. The part that seems like it's you know wasted time. And and, and here's here's. This needs to be my mind shift. Yours too. My mind shift is God is working. God has purpose in your idleness. God has purpose in you sitting there. Rejoice. Delight in this. Take a deep breath and go. It's not just the things where we feel like the time is wasted or, you know, like we're sitting in a stoplight. It's, It's everything that happens along that line. I mean, it's all the things in our life that we wish weren't there. I mean, from from the perspective obstacles have, and obstructions. And we, you know, to be able to remind ourselves constantly that the thing that I'm going through that I don't like, God is using for a purpose. But when it's something you don't like, you don't like how it feels. It hurts. It's painful. We lose sight of the fact that God is using it, and it just feels like an unnecessary, why am I having to go through this kind of thing? So there is a glory. There is a glory and a goodness in the fact that we are waiting. We are. Now, hang on, hang on. As I'm waiting, I don't lose sight of this. You know, I still have my destination to get to, and I'm still hopeful. And I know, especially with regard to the second coming of Christ, we know it's going to take place. And it may be my death might be intervening here before he does return to the earth or call his people home, however the eschatology is going to work out uh, in the end. But we know he's coming back, and we know he's going to call his people to himself. We know this. And so we look to that expectantly. In the meantime, we're over here. But this has this 
Here in the past, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation. The grace of God has appeared now training us. The grace of God has appeared also, and we are waiting. It is, it's like the guarantee, the guarantee of the Holy Spirit, the seal of, in the believer. It appeared bringing us salvation, and now it's pointing us forward, and we long for what? The, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so some people might go, let, let me just, again, a brief rabbit trail. People might be thinking, well, it's talking about God the Father and Jesus Christ, and for whatever reason, God and Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ isn't God, because it didn't. Well, if you go back to verse 10, it says that in everything the bondservant may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. God, our Savior. So in this language here, we see again, Jesus Christ exalted to to his rightful position at the right hand of the Father. We are waiting for this glory, this appearing. We've, we've had the grace of God appear in Christ the first time. We're now awaiting for this appearing of Christ the second time. And now Paul goes on to break down. What are we waiting for? We're waiting for Jesus. What was Jesus' purpose here? And he fleshes this out here. What did Jesus do? Verse 14. First thing he did. Gave himself. He gave himself. Why did he come? To give himself. Why did he have to come? Because we were a mess. Because we couldn't fix ourselves. I mean, to think of the magnitude and the majesty of the glory of God having to be birthed. I mean, to figure out how to use his fingers. He came to give himself. He came to hang on a cross for us. He came to the whole purpose of his giving himself was to do what? Next next phrase. To redeem us. Redeem. Redemption. Money. Something had to be paid. The debt had to be paid. More than bail. I mean, the complete debt had to be paid. And he came to redeem us. To redeem us from what? From all, all unlawlessness. So again, there's kind of a negative and a positive. It's just lawlessness. Why are these mindsets from all lawlessness? Okay. And what else? Purify. They're purified. Or 
Yeah, to purify. Now, we look at God doing this for us. But he's also doing it for himself. He is making us a people. He is purifying for himself this grace of God that has appeared, how? In Jesus Christ. You know, this here, this grace of God that appeared bringing salvation, he's, bring, he's coming to right over here now. To redeem us from all, unlaw, from all lawlessness and to purify himself a people for his possession, a people for his possession, and what is going to come from these people? Yeah, these people are now zealous for good works. What does the word zealous mean? Anybody ever see uh, Price is Right? Sure. Yeah. You ever see what these people do when their name is called? <laughs> you know, those people are zealous. You know, they are excited. They're thrilled. They're enthused. They want to. They're ready to come on down. Like a tent revival. Say what? It's like a tent revival. Yeah. You know, it's like, <laughs> yes. They're, they're zealous for good works. Again, these this whole training to renounce, it, these good works, these good works flow out of the grace of God that has appeared, bringing salvation, training us to wait for Jesus, who all of this work that He has done is to build for Himself a people who then want to follow Him, who want to do what He says, who are eager. To do what he says. Yeah. It's not meh. It's, it's, that's, that ought not be our heart and our attitude to that which God calls us to. It should be. He, man, worthy, worthy. So, you know, is that, is that our heart? Is that our heart? And our passion. You know, are we are we a, a people who are zealous to do good works because of this? You know, because because of what he did as we look forward to seeing him again, as we consider how this grace has appeared to bring salvation to us, to train us. To be a purified people for himself. We are, as believers, we are the bride of Christ. And our good works are adorning the church for his appearance. We are the body of Christ. And we ought be strengthening ourselves and our place within the body that we might continue 
to encourage and exhort one another so that the body would function properly and in good health. Any other uh, thoughts on uh, 11 through 14 here? Purify for himself a people possession. Is that the is that the final? That's it. Yeah, that, that's the final part. That like all of this ultimately happens to bring himself people for mm-hmm. his glory, for his goodness, not for not as just a just a gift. Yeah. Us. Yeah. There's a there's a much bigger point. Yep. Which, Absolutely. Unfortunately, sometimes the gospel message stops a little too soon on that part, which narrows the, the view of God's holiness and sovereign ultimate plan. Sweet. Yeah. Good. I, I always 